Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. Yes, indeed. I am joined by Mary Meyer. Mary's back with us again. Hi, Mary. Good morning. Great to be here, Denny. Well, it's always fun having you here helping our uh, listeners out. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. Uh, Mary is, uh, among other things, a horticultural science faculty member and extension horticulturist at the University of Minnesota Extension. So if you have a question about, uh, well, let's see, gardens, lawns, plants, flowers, plants, any, ornamental anything grasses, happening, anything happening outside in your garden or landscape. Boy, I tell you what, this is, uh, I don't know. To me, this seems like a very unusual uh, winter slash summer. I, we didn't have <laughs> no a spring. spring. We didn't have spring. But, you know, this is great growing weather for I should plants. say. And, yeah, I think if people really want to see the new growth on their trees or shrubs, you can go out and examine that. Uh, warm weather and lots of rainfall. It's kind of tropical. Things That's a good word for it. No, that is. And it has been feeling that with dew points in the 70s. Right, for sure. right. So, Many plants are warm season plants, uh, vegetables like tomatoes, peppers, melons, the coal crops, not the coal crops, the uh, cucurbits and so on, love uh, warm weather conditions. Yes. So we've had that. I was just thinking I needed to water my vegetable garden and boom, it, it rained. rained. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was thinking the same thing. The other day. And I want to mention too, Mary, that our friends at the By the Yard who make it down near Jordan, Minnesota, that family run business sponsors this show every week. And we appreciate that. Buy the yard patio furniture. Good stuff. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, later on. But uh, Mary is the person you want to contact either by phone or by text. If you have a lawn or garden type of question, 651-989-9226. Or if you like, send a text, 81807. Uh, 81807. People are already uh, sending uh, you texts, Mary, as we speak Here's one, if I may. I have a clematis growing in a pot, starting to bloom. What do I do with it for winter? I got it from a friend. Well, I would plant it in the ground. Uh, it's very unlikely that it will overwinter in a container like that. We have few plants that will perennial, are perennials that we can keep alive in containers above ground. So I'd plant it. You want to put it in a location where it can get a fair amount of sun. If it's uh, cool roots and warm top is what uh, clematis likes. So that's a little difficult to cite that. But, but basically in a sunny location and give it uh, additional water now. When you plant it. Okay, very good. Uh, text number again is 81807. Let's go to the phones, Mary. I believe John in Bloomington is the first deputy. Go ahead, John. Thank you. Hi, good morning. Uh-huh. Um, I just wanted to know that with all the hot, humid weather we've been having 
if that has a detrimental effect on the populations of Japanese beetles. Hmm, no, it's probably not a detrimental effect. Uh, the, the insects um, uh, and Japanese beetles are now common in our area. Uh, after many years, we do see these go into cycles. I grew up with them on the East Coast, and uh, it was just another insect we learned to live with and uh, adapted to. So we're getting used to that now here in Minnesota. But if anything, the warm conditions uh, help insects. You would think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they do. We, we used to think that they would not be hardy here. They wouldn't uh, live through our winter conditions, but we know that is not true now. Uh, so we have a number of um, management practices for Japanese beetles that are up on the Extension website that you can look at. But um, unfortunately, I think, if anything, uh, the heat has just helped them. Yeah, one would think that's, that's true. I've noticed more critters out there myself, but that's because of the weather. Right. All right. Uh, six, five, th- thank you, John. 651-989-9226. Uh, texter says another Clematis question. Uh, my Clematis is turning brown near the bottom. Could it be too much water causing this? Well, uh, possibly if you have poorly drained soil conditions. Uh, There are a number of diseases uh, with clematis. Uh, If it's just the lower foliage and the majority, uh, 80% or more, is fine, I wouldn't worry too much about that. But if you see standing water near it, that could definitely be too much water or a poorly drained uh, condition. If the rest of the plant looks okay and if it's flowering, that's a good sign. Uh, You can look up clematis and problems with clematis, again, on the website. There are a couple of uh, disease problems with clematis. However, those would show up. Uh, on the entire plant, not necessarily just down at the base. So if it's just the basal foliage, uh, I wouldn't worry too much, but I would do a good inspection, and I would look at the uh, resources available. For and I, we right. should mention again that great website you guys yes, uh, website, work hard on. Yeah, it's extension.umn.edu. Uh, it's going to have a new look when you look at it now, and you want to click on Learn and then Yard and Garden. And then you'll see some questions. Uh, Do you want to solve a problem? Uh, How to do different things? Do you want to find plants? So there are many different uh, ways to uh, determine what what problem you have to find out solutions for your problems. Yeah, it's a great site. Uh, Back to the phones. Dick is calling from Fairmont, I believe. Uh, Dick, you're on with Mary on CCO. Uh, Yeah, see, I have a problem with uh, quackgrass. Uh, taking over parts of my once healthy lawn. Is there anything I can do to prevent it or stop it? Uh, that's difficult because the uh, chemicals to kill quack grass will also kill the good grass in your lawn. So uh, quack grass uh, doesn't like to be cut short. And that's the kind of the opposite. We recommend people to, to cut their lawns higher, three, four inches. And quackgrass will live quite well in those conditions. But low cuts, low height of cut, two and a half inches and so on, is going to uh, make it more difficult for quackgrass. Uh, you might want to selectively uh, try to cut that lower or kill that particular area. Quackgrass, very difficult plant to get rid of without... Um, Complete renovation of the soil or herbicides. Mm, tough so one. It's it's it is um, it's a tough problem. I would I would try cutting your lawn a little bit shorter, even though that in general is not how we recommend lawn care. But I would try cutting it a little bit shorter uh, for the season. The other thing is 
Quackgrass is more of a cool season grass. It doesn't like the heat. Ah. So especially cutting it uh, in the heat of the summer um, will hopefully, um, management-wise, help you to control it. All right. Texter wants to know, Mary, when can a professional tree company prune oaks, ash, or maples? Well, the best time is really in the winter when the plants are totally dormant. Uh, we are still under a high risk for uh, oak wilt that goes through the middle of the month now through July. And, um, yeah, the winter time when the plants are completely dormant, they have the least likelihood of spreading um, any diseases or any insect uh, infestation. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. That's the safest, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob in Minnetonka is calling in uh, this morning for Mary. Go ahead, uh, Bob. Thank you. Hey, Mary, this is Bob. I um, You've actually helped us one time before on a magnolia bush that we have. And um, it's getting nice and big, but at the bottom we have these little tiny bees, and it's kind of brown around the root and everything, you know, where it goes in, and I've got mulch around it. Is that something that I should be worrying about? The biggest problem on magnolias are the scale insects. And those scale insects uh, congregate all along the stem. Usually they're at the younger growth out at the tips of the branches. But when you have a major infestation, they'll cover everything. And they uh, exude uh, sap, and then they attract uh, ants, and then the sticky uh, honeydew gets all over everything. You have this black, ugly mess in addition to the scale insects. But if you, you what you're describing is just at a, a lower uh, area, usually that's not where a scale infestation starts. I would just make sure that that mulch is away from the trunk of the tree so that you have good aeration around that area. And if when you examine the twigs and the smaller branches, they're clean and uh, you don't see any uh, brown coverings or shell-like coverings on it for the insects, then uh, I, don't, I don't think you have the scale insect. All right. If you're just joining us, Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota is with us this morning helping you out by text and by uh, phone. I know we have to take a quick break here, but I want to ask a text. A texter wants to know, what's the best time to divide daylilies? Daylilies are so tough. You can divide them <laughs> almost any time of year. Uh, when they're blooming is, practic- is when they're kind of the weakest. They have most of their food reserves up into the flowering. But I, I've divided them successfully any time of year. You want to take cut back the foliage about halfway when you're uh, cut, cut them back by half and dig them out and divide them. You'll see those big roots. They look like your f- small fingers. Uh, and they, uh, they're quite tough, so you could do it right now. All right, very good. Uh, i tell you what, let's take this quick break. We'll come back. We have callers. We have textures. There is a line open if you want to call in your lawn or garden question, 651-989-9226. Text number again is 81807. We'll be back here on CCO. Good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on 830 WCCO. Denny Long here with Mary Meyer from the U of M Extension and helping you out by phone and text as usual. And Mary, as usual, we have a bunch of both. That's great. Let's see. And I want to ask you what's going on at the Arboretum too in a bit. Uh, who is next? Tommy is calling from Minneapolis. Tommy, you're on with Mary. Hi, good morning. Uh, I have some lilacs I want to cut back about 40% in height and circumference. How or when should I do that? Well, the ideal time is at, just as they're finished blooming. So it would have been about a month ago. 
uh, maybe five weeks ago even. Uh, you can prune them now, and you will not kill lilacs, but you, will, uh, you may affect the amount of flowers they have next spring. So timing-wise, timing the best time is right after they bloom. Uh, as far as how to cut them back by 40%, you'll want to take off some of the main stems way back at the ground. So that's kind of the first step is to go in and cut things off at ground level and then pull those uh, limbs out and then evaluate what you have left. Then some of the larger things that are left, you can still cut back by a third. But obviously, when you're cutting back by a third, the things you take out totally, those obviously are not going to be flowering uh, next year. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Tommy. Uh, Who's next? Susan is calling from Buffalo. Susan, you're on CCO with Mary. Good morning. I needed to remove a large evergreen, and the space underneath the evergreen is is completely dead. How do I prepare the soil for either putting in a seed or sod or maybe even a flower garden? Well, actually, hopefully your soil is not dead. It has just been uh, kind of in dormancy lying there because the light levels were so low. So you'll probably encounter a lot of tree roots that are in there, but if the the tree is uh, no longer living, those roots are just going to decay. And I would um, do a little bit of raking or tilling in the area. And then um, as long as you can have exposed soil, um, you can see reseed that area. It, it sounds like you want to do a lawn there, and if you reseed that in another uh, about another month, mid August is uh, begins the ideal time for seeding. So um, I'm a fan of seeding. I like the the uh, fine fescue grasses, and I would. Um, I don't think you'll need to add new soil. The question is uh, getting enough exposed soil for the seed to have good seed soil contact. Would any of those, uh, over the years, dropping these needles affected things like a pH or something? Uh, There's a lot of concern about that, but really it's like a drop in the bucket Mm. uh, with um, the acidifying nature of uh, uh, those pine needles. Uh, Our um, base soil for most of the area, the Twin Cities, is so alkaline that those those leaves uh, disintegrate. Maybe in the top half an inch, you might have an effect with the soil pH. But overall, uh, it's not like Not a big factor. Mm-hmm. Susie's calling from wonderful Arden Hills this morning. Hi, Susie. Hi, Danny. Uh, I have two climbing hydrangea questions. My first one is these old climbing hydrangeas that I have are lovely and beautiful. But when I get close to them, like if I'm sitting down because we have a lot of sitting areas or trimming one of them, it smells like spilled milk. Not spilled, excuse me, spoiled. Spoiled milk. You, spoiled milk. There's a there's a little odor. Is that a stumper of a question, or is that something that's common in these climbing hydrangeas? Well, I really envy you, Susie, with a climbing hydrangea. It's a beautiful plant, one I've been trying to grow myself. I have never encountered that uh, that fragrance with it, but uh, I, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, okay. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Here's my second question. I have a variegated climbing hydrangea that's about five years old, and it just kind of sat there for a while, and I was told, be patient, be patient. Sure enough, I've got this huge thing that's growing up now, and it's got one only one, like, spike that's going, going, going. Should I cut that back to 
spread it out or should I just let it go and it'll spread out itself? Well, the main thing is, is that climbing hydrangea has got to have some flat surface to, to adhere to. And um, you have to give it some support. So if it's on support, I would cut back maybe the top inch or two inches of it. And then that will encourage the lateral branching. But you need to provide that support because a climbing hydrangea, it, it's very, um, very weak without support. All right, very good, Susie. Thank you, Susie. I've seen pictures of Susie's backyard. It's just gorgeous. Oh, variegated yes. high climbing. Wow, Susie, Susie's traveled better. with us on a number of CCO tours, oh. and she is a, a, a great, I think, a landscaper, too. Well, she's oh, not professionally, yeah. but thanks, Susie. Good for her. All right. 75 degrees of the, our Twin City temperature, and we have to do a quick break here, bottom of the hour break. We have more show to come. In fact, another half hour. Call us, text us on our Smart Garden Show on 830-WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show, sponsored every week by our friends at By the Yard Patio Furniture, the outdoor furniture that you never have to store. We'll talk about that shortly. In the meantime, we welcome your phone calls. Mary Meyer is back with us from the University of Minnesota. And I recall our uh, our, our friend, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Teresa Rooney mentioning something about master gardeners. What's going on? This is a really big day, a great day for gardeners in Hennepin County and, and uh, really the metro area. So the Learning Garden Tour is today, 9 to 4, in uh, Minneapolis. You can search this online, Learning Garden Tour, Hennepin County Master Gardeners. It will show you the gardens, where they are. Uh, it's only $20 a person, but the unique thing is not only will you see these wonderful gardens, you will get education materials at many of the gardens and the educational uh, events are listed there preserving vegetables uh, small container water gardens Mm. different topics at different gardens and you can get a map you can see where they are and go to any garden Uh, you can pay the fee today and it's a wonderful thing not only do you see the gardens you get to learn uh, as well how neat is that now how do we find out more information Hennepin County Master Gardeners or the Learning Garden Tour Learning Garden Tour. We right. might mention that before you leave. Yeah, too. there are a lot of garden tours, but the, the Master Gardeners have got the learning uh, additional part to it. So it's a great thing to take part in. And it'll be a good day for that, too. It'll be a great day for All that, right. yeah. Back to the phones we go. Larry is calling from Farmington. Larry, you're on CCO with Mary. Yes, I've got a tomato question. I've got tomatoes. I planted them in pots with potting soil, and I just had some turning red there last week and they've got blossom and rot on them. How do I stop that from happening? Just continue to faithfully water your tomatoes. Try not to let those pots dry out, which is now a real challenge because you're going to have to water them probably once a day, if not more than once a day. But blossom end rot often comes on the first fruits. It's the uh, variability of the availability of water right at the beginning. Hopefully your next ones won't have that problem. Oh, good. Uh, I don't want to forget our texters either. Here's one. I wonder if the website can help. I have a flowering perennial that I've forgotten the name. Where can I send a picture to help me identify it? You can send that to ask the expert. Ask the expert. There's a link on our uh, website to uh, ask questions. Yes, sending in a picture to identify a plant, we'll be happy to do that. That's uh, it's a challenge to look that up. Otherwise, but uh, send the photo in to ask the expert. Okay, very good. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, let's see. Can I safely trim my flowering crab tree now, removing lower branches? Uh, you can do that with a uh, crab apple tree now. Um, the, the best time is really in the winter time. That's my favorite time for pruning. Uh, you want to do that right now. Uh, it, within the next week, we t- I usually tell people you could do this until July 15th. So that's tomorrow. <laughs> so we're <laughs> getting, right. we're getting right on the edge here for pruning that stimulates growth going into the winter. Not a good idea for us in Minnesota, but yes, do it. Do it today. All right. <laughs> Back to the phones. Kathy is calling from Elk River. Kathy, you're on CCO with Mary. Hi, I live in an association. We have trees, and a few years ago they had mulch around the trees. And the trees all started to split. And it was explained that the mulch was causing that, so they took all the mulch off. Well, now they've put it all back on, but they have it bunched right up to the tree. Aren't they supposed to leave a ring between the tree and the mulch so it doesn't damage the trees? Yes, you're correct. Uh, The mulching really is to uh, keep the soil surface moist, to cut down weeds, and to prevent people from hacking up the trunk of the tree with a lawnmower, getting too close to it. So the idea of building a volcano around the base of a tree is is really not a good idea at all for the tree. So, so what you're describing is correct. The mulch should be away from the trunk. It really should be um, an inch, two inches at most, but level around where the surface on the surface where the roots are. Okay. Another uh, tomato uh, question via text, Mary. Uh, Septoria leaf spot is rampant this year on my tomatoes. I garden organically. Is there any spray I can use to slow this fungus down? The chemi- the sprays for septoria leaf spot are all preventative. So you've got to make the film on the leaf before the leaf spot ever gets on your tomato. So once it's started, it's really difficult to prevent it. The best thing at this point is sanitation, taking off, cleaning up any of the leaves that have the spots on. I, I just do this when they're yellow and easily come off. So the basal ones, you can remove those. Try to keep that foliage as dry as possible. When you're watering, put the water down uh, right near the, the roots and don't get the foliage wet. So the warm conditions that we've had with a high moisture, high humidity have been ideal for tomato leaf spot diseases. And it's it's a very tough year. I saw them appear on my container tomatoes earlier than ever, simply because the weather conditions. Mm, there it goes again. Yeah. Let's go uh, back to the phones. Jim is calling from St. Paul with a question for Mary. Go ahead, Jim. Yes. Uh, hi, Mary. I've uh, I've got a gardenia that I planted this summer. I got through the mail. It's starting to grow nicely, but I got to keep a screen around it because the rabbits want to eat it up. But I was wondering what what the special care I can give it. Oh, Jim, good for you with a gardenia. Uh, one of the most beautiful fragrances that uh, plants give us. So this is a tropical plant. It likes the weather conditions we're having right now. Likes quite a bit of sun, but high humidity. It likes acidic conditions. Uh, that's probably in the in a container. Uh, it's fairly easy to do that versus uh, growing outside. But just uh, good good light conditions and keep it well watered. Uh, 
Yeah, and keep it away from the rabbits. <laughs> so if you had put it in a screened-in porch or an area like that where it still can get quite a bit of light, I I'd keep it outdoors as much as much of the year as you can, and then a bright, uh, sunny south window uh, in the winter time. Uh, use acid, acidic-loving plant food, and that needs it's a heavy feeder you you need to feed that quite a bit of the year when it's growing so at least once a month give it uh, liquid fertilizer all right jim you know let's pick up on as many text messages as we can i don't want to forget those folks does moss growing on trees affect them uh Probably not. No, moss and lichens often grow where the environment is favorable on the trunks of trees, but are not uh, detrimental to their health. Uh, Texas has planted new lawn, came up light green. What seed should I add to get dark green growth like the rest of my lawn? I wonder what kind of grass that is. Yeah, that's right. It it might just be a factor of how much nitrogen is available to the plants, especially with all the rain that we have been having. Nitrogen leaches out of the soil. Um, I, I would still go with uh, the fine fescues, perennial ryegrass. That's the least hardy, but uh, comes up quickly. And then uh, the Kentucky bluegrasses. So I would go with a mixture if you've got uh, full sun conditions. And I would think about uh, having a soil test. I don't know if you did that before you put the seed down, but see if your soil is uh, deficient and consider definitely uh, fertilizing it now uh, into, once we get into the fall. So I'd wait another month to really put the fertilizer on unless you use something that's a slow-release uh, organic fertilizer like uh, mill organite. What is the process of getting a soil test done? So you can look that up on our website, but you you go around the uh, area that the lawn in this case, uh, I would get uh, soil from at least uh, 10, 12 places, mix that together. So you want to remove the sod or get soil. You don't want to get the leaf litter and so on that's in the top. You want actual soil. You don't need very much of it. It's only about a half a cup or so to actually uh, get it tested. But you can actually uh, order a soil testing envelope and have that mailed to Ah. you and then you can get that in. It's a, I think it's $17 now to get the soil test. Uh, you can take it over to the University of Minnesota. You can get your soil together in a bag. You can take it over to the university and drop it off as well. Okay, a couple yeah. of ways. Uh, let's see. Can we trim our red twig dogwood now? Uh, y- yes, you can do that uh, right now. Again, uh the closer we get to winter, the less you want to prune because that stimulates new growth going into the winter. But either when a plant is totally dormant or um, for retro dogwood, you can do that now. Gosh, that's probably going gangbusters with the <laughs> weather conditions that we have had. My early raspberries, Texter says, had fruit that was half white, half red. The mid-season fruit was normal. Now I still have a lot of berries, but most are red and ripe on one side and pink, underripe, and deformed on the other side. What do you think is going on? My guess is that's a virus condition showing up. Raspberries are notorious for getting viral diseases. And um, I guess you have to figure how bad is it, how much do you want to tolerate. Maybe can you identify certain plants that this is happening to and other plants are okay. I guess I'd, I'd see how bad it is through the rest of the year, and if it comes back again next year, I definitely would try to uh, rogue out the plants that are doing that. Okay. 
While we're on the subject of raspberries, I think Margaret's calling in from St. Paul about a raspberry question. Margaret, what's your question, please? Yeah, my question has to do, I've had the Japanese beetles all over the uh, raspberries, but now there's kind of a, a bug or a beetle that's, when you look down on it, it's kind of shaped like a pear, but it doesn't seem to be chewing on anything, and I don't know if it flies, but what is that? Hmm. Hey, I'd love to see a picture of that. So what are entomologists with a pear-shaped bug? I'm not sure what that is. It might be a nymph or larval form that is kind of, those could kind of look weird to us because they're, they're uh, intermediate stage between the, um, the egg and the adult. So I'd take a picture of it. I'd send it into the Ask the Expert and, um, yeah, so we can help identify it for you. And that website is for those? Extension.umn.edu. Then you click on Learn and Yard and Garden, and you can, uh, what insect is this? Uh, yeah. That's a great resource. Yes. Try I, it, Margaret. I, I'm intrigued by that, Margaret. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. All right. We need to take a break. We have more calls, more texts uh, straight ahead here on our Smart Garden Show. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show, brought to us every week by our friends at By the Art Patio Furniture. 75 is our Twin City temperature reading. Might be hazy where you are. And Mary Meyer, uh, the dew point is a sticky 70 degrees. You can feel it. Like you use the word tropical. It is It is that. Yes, it is tropical. I, I had another thought. Uh, thank you, Julie, for your text. Uh, raspberries might be sun scald mm. with that white discoloration. So that's a possibility. So anyway, yeah, yeah for the, just just be alert and keep looking at those. Hope the listener is uh, still still listening. Still listening. Right? All right. Sunscreen. Let's see. Callers, yes. Let's uh, uh, get Brent in here from uh, Roseville. Brent, you're on with Mary. Good morning. I actually have two questions. One is I have a piece of lily that's uh, about eight months. I've had it eight months and is doing real well. Question is, uh, how often should I fertilize that like in the summer now? Uh, once, once every two weeks, uh, maybe once a month, depending on how much new foliage you see on it and if you have any flowers on it. If you want it to flower, because peace lily will flower at lower light conditions that we have in our homes. So I would say every two to four weeks. Okay. The other is I planted two ar- uh, uh, arborvita uh, in June. They're doing well. They're about four and a half, five feet high. I used a uh, fertilizer, a starter fertilizer. Should I fertilize that again now before in the summer or in the fall? Probably not. You know, uh, the, uh, our, our, our landscape plants are usually not limited in growth when they're new by fertilizer. They're just limited in time for the roots to develop and get established. So water is a much more limiting factor than fertilizer for the first year. Okay. Thank you, Brent. Rhonda is calling in from Hopkins, I believe. Rhonda, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I was wondering, Mary, if you know anything um, about how we could get rid of poison ivy up at our cabin. Yes, I would definitely use a chemical control for that. Uh, There are a lot of uh, brush uh, killers that are labeled specifically for poison ivy. So they're um, ones that you apply. I've even seen aerosol cans for this, but you want to probably get something that's a larger quantity than that. So triclopore is one of the chemicals, but just buy a weed killer that has probably a picture of poison ivy on it that's recommended on the label for poison ivy, and then be careful when you're applying that because um, if many times that chemical will kill whatever is green that it hits. 
but uh, be, be careful and then read and follow the label directions. But uh, good for you in taking care of that. I think that poison ivy is one of the uh, weeds that we need to be vigilant and control, especially in your walking paths with young children. Oh, good idea, yeah. Right. Thanks, Rhonda. Uh, textures, we have many. Let's see. A lot of critter questions. Cutworms eating vegetable plants right at and below the soil surface. How to control, first of all, eating pumpkin plants, zucchini plants, winter squash plants, etc. Yeah, that's usually a barrier. You've got to put up some type of a barrier and often after the fact it may be too late. No. So you can you can look for these cutworms, you can try to uh remove them, but but some type of a barrier, a can or a collar around the base of a plant so that cutworms do not get in there is the best prevention. Here's another one, Mary. Rose slugs attacking my shrub rose last two years. I hand pick them, but they are winning. What can I do? Would moving it work? I I don't know that moving it would really work. Uh, hand picking them off, you might try insecticidal soap. Again, uh, a product that is labeled uh, specifically for rose uh, slugs. They can, you know, sometimes they they do seem to be. Uh, less of a problem in bright, sunny, drier conditions. Perhaps the environment, the mulch you have around might be encouraging that. But um, I would, again, look at the, uh, the, the label for a product for uh, rose insects. You can also go to the website and read up on the management practices for rose slugs. Okay. Uh, I have a Kentucky coffee tree, Tester says, and it's growing very well. However, it appears that every winter... The 15 uh, inches, is that what it says, of new growth seems to freeze off and fall on the ground, and I'm left with a bunch of twigs around the base. Is that normal? I think what you're seeing is just deciduous branches. There are some trees that have deciduous branches. They tend to shed a lot of their branches as well as their leaves, which Kentucky uh, coffee tree would do. So I don't think there's anything you can do about that. That's a tree that tends to have more litter than normal, but it's a great tree. It's a very nice tree. We have a lot of those at the Arboretum, and we enjoy them. I actually thought the caller was going to complain about the seed pods, which is another litter that comes on those. Well, you know what? Speaking of the Arboretum, we should mention, I always like to ask you what's going on there. Oh, it's wonderful at the Arboretum now. The lilies are gorgeous. This is a peak time of year for our Asiatic uh, Oriental lilies that are blooming, not day lilies, but the other uh, types of lilies. And there are some six feet tall lilies at the Arboretum Blooming, just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, this is our diamond 60th year anniversary at the Arboretum. And the gardens uh, that we change out with the colors with Dwayne Otto's uh, wonderful skill are silver for uh, the, the diamond and uh, purple and pink. So they're really coming to glory now. The roses are blooming. The origami exhibit is there. The Chinese garden has a 10-foot dragon, and her name is Bing. So you want to be sure and see Bing when you go to the Arboretum. And how do we find it? For those that don't know, it's a great place to bring his friends. Yes, southwest of the cities, uh, take Route 5 west, just past the intersection of 41 and 5. You'll see the entrance. What do you think a texture says is happening to evergreen trees? We've had this question before. Seems like so many are dying, at least in our west suburban area. 
Well, we had a horrific winter for evergreens. Uh, I've seen more of our hardiest evergreens uh, that had to be removed. Juniper is very tough plants. They just did a tremendous amount of wind kill. We had extreme uh, conditions that killed a lot of our evergreens in the winter. They may have been weakened to the point where that's actually showing up now. So I, other than winter damage, I would go by the specific problem and uh, look on the website for what's wrong with my plant. We have about 60 seconds to go, Mary. Could you give Texas a quick a good tips about growing cactus succulents? Thank you. Oh, this is so popular now. I was actually reading an article in the paper where individuals have hundreds of houseplants. Mm. They vie with their neighbors. I have 85. I have 110. <laughs> I cannot believe But anyway, this is fabulous, and people are enjoying indoor plants. Uh, cactus need a, light, a lot of light. Uh, they need some water, but not a lot of water. Well-drained soil. Watch them well. Uh, try to rotate them around so they evenly get uh, light conditions. But they're some of the easiest plants to try and a lot of fun different ones. But good light and uh, well-drained soil. All right. And again, that the University of Minnesota website. Extension.umn.edu. This is the Hennepin County Learning Gardener Tour Day. Get Today's out there the and day. see those gardens. Outstanding. Mary, thank you. It's good My to see pleasure. you My pleasure. Wonderful to be here. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.